Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and my co-host, Caleb Jenks, is joining us somewhere in the suburbs of Austin, Texas. He's just sharing this video on his uh, Facebook feed, and he's going to jump right in. As a matter of fact, as soon as this video comes up live, I'm going to do the same. And then after that, uh, we can jump into tonight's topic. So tonight's topic is how do I know that I'm in a cult? So Caleb and I are pretty excited to talk about this. We've both been around a lot of different types of church groups over the years, and we've been involved in lots of different churches. And I'm not going to speak for Caleb, but I'll speak for myself in that when I first came to Christianity, I didn't know anything. I was given a New Testament. I moved to a new city. I knew I wanted God to be part of my life. So I said, all right, I should probably go to church. And I started visiting churches and I spent several months in lots of different types. And I can tell you that I have definitely been in several churches that would fall under the definition of a cult. So with that, Caleb, let me turn it over to you. And why don't you tell us, how do you know if you are in a cult? Well, uh, good evening. It's good to be on here. Um, so you probably don't know that you're in a cult, most likely, if you're in a cult. And that's the scary part about it. So, and I'm not going to be on here to tell you if you are in, in a cult or not, but I think I'm going to give you some good clues that will probably clue you in that you might be alarmed uh, by if you, if some of these things ring a bell. Um, so I thought I'd first start off just by mentioning that we're, we're going to be careful not to, Patrick and I both agreed to not call out any particular churches. We're not here to blast you if you are, if you happen to be in one of these cults. That's not our, our purpose here isn't to um, ruin your night. We'll let you ruin it yourself once you figure it out <laughs> that we identified you by characteristics. Um, oh, so I guess. Let me, let me jump in here. Something yeah. that should be said real quick is learning that you are in a cult, that you're in a, a church and a group that's unhealthy and bad for you, that's not the end of the world. Staying in one and remaining in an unhealthy place where God doesn't want you, that's the problem. Lots of us are going to find out that we're in a place where God doesn't want us. Staying there is really what's going to cause the damage. Right. So, and that's complicated very complicated exiting sometimes. So I guess that you could, you could come up with a list and maybe you have a list there, Patrick, of the definition of a cult. But um, the biggest thing that I would say is, is it's not a biblical term. The word cult is not a biblical term. And a lot of times people have really, really negative connotations with it as if it were, as, as if we were relating it to the occult. And that's definitely different than being a part of the occult. It doesn't mean it's demonic. It doesn't mean that everything about it is bad can have a lot of very good things. In fact, a lot of cults have a lot of very, very good um, practices, and they can have a lot of uniformity because of the fact that they have, uh, a lot of times they have a lot, of, a lot more sway than a church that has, that's less controlling from the top down. Typically, cults are pretty controlling. Go ahead. And with, again, you know, we didn't really define this term, but I'm going to tell you how it is misdefined in Christianity all the time. It is misdefined by, uh, by saying that a cult is any church that does not teach that salvation comes by Jesus Christ alone. And the important thing to remember is that there are plenty of churches that teach that that salvation comes by Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and nothing else. And it is still a cult. And, and one thing I'll bring up is the term cult and the occult. So the occult is following after the devil. Okay. That is a system that the devil has started for the purpose of ending you up in hell. What you have to understand is there are cult followings of movies, of books, of rock bands. Okay. There are cult followings of lots of things. It doesn't have to be a, a religious worship center. So just understand that you might be in a church that very clearly teaches that Jesus is the only way. That doesn't mean that it is not a cult and a bad, unhealthy place for you and your family. And Caleb, correct me if I'm wrong on, on what I just said. Oh, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. 
So um, a couple of things that I would that I would just say about it is I I believe that you can be a born again Christian going to heaven and be in a cult. And we're not here to say just because you're in a cult, you can't be a Christian or you can't be born again. I guess we would both agree on that. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Salvation has nothing to do with the place that you're at uh, that is bad or that is good. Salvation has to do with you understanding the simple message of the gospel at some point in your life and deciding, yes, I want that. I am going to receive the gift and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. So with some of that being said, to try to soften the blow, so to speak here. We love you. If you're in a cult, we love you. You may you may very well be a Christian. Your church might be a little bit whacked out, and I might not want to join it myself. But I'm not here to to attack you as a person or as a believer. So, a couple of things to keep in mind that that I would say are are pretty common characteristics. And hop in here with your comments. Anybody that wants to chime in on this, get in here with your comments as soon as you can, so that we can get to your question. If you save it clear to the end of the episode, we may not get to it. Um, a couple of things that you will notice if you're in a cult is you're going to notice a lot of very, um, a lot of elevation of the leader. That's very common. The leaders are usually very much elevated, possibly to the position of God or having exclusive access to God. And you'll also probably feel stuck in the cult. Those are the two main things that I'm going to focus on tonight as far as what I think that you'll notice in a cult. And one of the things that, that people have done since the get-go is everything every time God creates something good, we 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 figure out some way to mess that up. And so the church has not been ex- exempt from that. And there's been a lot of well-meaning people. Somebody says some cults thump Bibles. <laughs> um, so there's there is a lot of well-meaning born-again Christians, and they're actually called out if you look in uh the first chapter of Romans, I believe it's addressing some people that would be leaders in churches that would fall under the, this definition. And it talks about that they have the truth, they have the light, but that they worship the creation more than the creator. And that is a problem since the get-go, since the Old Testament, people have always wanted to find something else to worship other than God. And they carve out a rock or they figure out whatever it is to find something else to worship. And, and whenever we elevate somebody else or something else, to the position of God, it might be a good thing. It might be a good person. It might even be something that is of God. But when we, when that becomes our focus and our focus comes off of God, then I think that is a, a good telltale sign that something has gone wrong. And, you know, there are a lot of groups that end up in a bad place that started out in a good one. And a lot of groups are named after the original leader that started it. And the reason that they had success is because they made some kind of a stand, you hopefully for God and the Bible. And there was a strong following after that because people saw God moving and God working through, you know, a man or a group. And that was a great thing. And then what happens is after that, instead of worshiping the God that that man worshiped, they end up transferring that worship to the man. And and you already mentioned that. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. The super strong, uh, there's excessively zealous, unquestioning uh, commitment to the leader. And that's always a dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus set up the model and the model was that the leader washes the feet of everyone else. If you want to know the the system that Jesus set up, that's what it is. It was never the idea of put some man on a pedestal and do what he says. Well, and one of the things that Jesus did is he came to sort of disrupt the idea of the fact that we had to access God through somebody else. And this is a very common characteristic among cults is that they uh, they are going to try to tell you that the only way that you can access God is through them somehow. Somehow they are... Oftentimes they will have had some sort of divine revelation where God has shown them that they are the one and only chosen church. That's a very common thing. If you're in a cult, your church will probably need to tell you by necessity in order to prove that it is the place you need to stay. They're going to need to tell you by necessity that they are the one and only church or they're the greatest church, the best church or the only church for you for whatever reason. And this is all going to come through some through either some twisting of the scripture to find this out of the Bible that you're the only church or through some divine revelation that usually comes from God and it's unconfirmed, but it is through typically a messenger or a prophet or somebody that has exclusive access to God. 
And when you think of it, the whole reason that God gave us the Bible was so that there didn't have to be one group that had it all. And the idea that any group has the audacity to say that we are the one true church, we are the one group that has it right, we have this special revelation that no one else has, that to me makes me think that they have never read Revelation and read the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. Because one thing Jesus clearly explains is none of you guys got this figured out. I mean, it, it, Jesus gave them all a report card and they all had some things they were, I can't even say that, they didn't all have some things they were doing well. Okay. Um, uh, five out of the seven of them all had something they were doing well. Two of them didn't have anything good said about them. But, but the one thing idea, they had in common is they were all doing something wrong. Yes. Well, no, there were actually two that nothing bad was said about them. The funniest thing about it is that all of them thought they were doing differently than the letter said. So the ones that thought they were, they had it all figured out, those were the ones that Jesus said, you don't have anything good going on. Isn't that crazy? And that's the exact opposite of the cult. The cult nowadays says, we're the one true church. And I can tell you for a fact, anytime someone stands up and says that, Jesus would write them a letter and say, you've got it all wrong. At least that's the that's the um, pattern that we see in the Bible. Well, another thing that's very typical is there will be a lot of emphasis on uh, possibly revelation and spoken word rather than the written word of God and, and the written word of God will um, some there's going to be somebody in the church or some something in the church that has d divine inspiration from god that can that can have equal or greater bearing than the word of god so mm -hmm. uh, immediately at that point you be you disregard the bible if when it when it crosses the line where you're willing to disregard the bible on any on anything and say well but this is what god spoke to brother so and so or this guy or that guy then all of a sudden it becomes to me that's where all of a sudden, no, no longer is God the head of the church, but you now have some overbearing leader that has become the head of the church. And it, maybe it happens slowly, and you're like the, the frog in the frying pan, and you didn't see it coming. They didn't see it coming. But it can start out good and slowly turn into something very, very, very evil. You know, I've seen on a less severe level where the church promotes itself to be equal with God. The idea that the church... Uh, has the same authority as God or the Bible. And it, you know, because real, realistically, Caleb, and I'd like to hear what you think about this, but my first loyalty is to God and his written word. And, and, and that's it. After that, it's to my wife and my children. After that, I would say it might be to my country and certainly to my friends, you know, and, and my church is in there somewhere, but it's not tied with God or the Bible, because churches are ran by men. That's the best it's ever going to be. And unfortunately, especially if you have a knucklehead like me running the church, there's going to be a lot of problems there. You know, so it, it's not where I've seen cases where they're not so audacious as to say, we know better than the Bible. We have special revelation that it's even, you know, that what we say is greater. Although I've been to those and I've heard that, there are some that will just elevate the idea of the level of the pastor and the church to be on par with or equal to God, as, as if to say, whenever the leader comes up with a, if you're not on board with the church program, then there's a problem with you. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Here we go. So I have, I have, I don't know what percentage of my friends are, but I would say that I, I have, I don't know, 1100 some odd friends on Facebook. And I would say probably a good three to 500 of them. So some of you that are watching this right now are probably in a church that I would consider to be some sort of a cult. And so something I wanted to mention about this is I think there's all levels of, and I don't really know where you draw the line, where it becomes a cult, where you slap that title on it, for sure. There's, there's some that are really bad and there's some that are a little bit bad, but they're probably going to get worse unless God steps in and, and there's, there's, to change and the, the one thing that's very hard if you're in a cult and you have and you're you've elevated the leaders to the position of god and they're they're revered as if they were god's messenger god's holy anointed person whatever it's really hard for them to ever come out and say we were wrong we're going to repent we're going to turn 180 degrees we're going to go the other direction 
it doesn't really happen because they're always there's always an explanation for well this is why we were doing it and it was right then and it still has to be right now and so there's just kind of this downward spiral where where once they get onto that slippery slope it seems like it gets worse i i am going to go ahead and call out one cult that i think that I, here we I go I mentioned this to Patrick. I think there's probably one cult where we can't hurt too many feelings because they pretty much went extinct. Most of us oh. are probably most okay. of us are probably familiar with the uh, Jim the Jones. Moabites. Oh, okay. I oh, was going to go ahead and call out two. No, I was going to guess the Moabites. <laughs> so the, the situation with Jim Jones, where he packed his whole church up, got out of the country because of legal problems here, and then they he he poisoned the whole the whole church. And actually, a lot of the leaders and the the members Wait, of the you're church. You're saying they are a cult? <laughs> they were. They're a dead cult now. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> I, I hate to laugh about it, but the thing is, is there was there was a lot of very devoted, good people in that in that movement. You can go online, you can watch videos of their worship services. People that were very devoted, and they thought wholeheartedly that they were living for God and doing the right thing. And even when it got to the point of them committing suicide, killing their own children. They thought that they were doing the right thing because they were following a leader that had clearly gone astray. And the, the problem is, is it, it happened slowly over time, but it, it, all it took is one time of them deviating from God's word and doing something different. I don't think they actually started out that way. It started out as a good movement and it turned out really, really bad. So that's going to be an extreme situation where that was very hurtful. But in, in other situations where it's maybe not as clearly blatantly evil, there's still a lot of damage. and where, where some of this comes in is if you feel stuck in your church and you can't leave your church because you're, you feel like you're there out of obligation to, to it, because if you leave and you go somewhere else, you're going to go to hell. Or if your family leaves or you leave your family believes you're going to go to hell, that is a very, very alarming situation. And you raise your kids there and you are going to put them in a position where eventually they have their hands tied and they're either going to have to be shunned or they're going to have to stick it stick it out like you are and so that becomes a really difficult decision i, I don't know how you mitigate that i was i've it, there's a certain appeal to dedicated christians to joining cults there's something about it that's appealing and you probably are there for the right reasons and you're doing the wrong thing for the right reasons is what i would say i came very close to joining a church that i would have been stuck and committed to um probably for the rest of my life with unless I would have been willing to jeopardize my family, tear my family apart. And it, I started seeing the writing on the wall. And the more that I studied about it and discussed it with the church leaders, I realized that they had come to the point where they were willing to go add to the Bible, have extra biblical requirements on people. And I had to become a cookie cutter member of the society. And I had to let go of all of my convictions and become just like them in order to join. And then my kids were going to be in this, stuck in the same boat. And I was like, I could go to any other church anywhere and, and my kids choose a different lifestyle, choose a different path for their life, and I'm not going to have to cut off relationship to them. Why in the world would I choose a church that, despite all the good things, is going to eventually possibly tear my family apart? And so that's that's where I ultimately made the decision. And I would highly recommend evaluating it based off of that collateral damage, if nothing else, even if you weren't worried about the doctrinal issues, just the, the damage that it does to families to be stuck in a cult. So let me jump in here and give our listeners a couple more ideas. You, you know, you gave one that really I think was great, and that is you feel stuck. If you feel stuck, like you can't leave and there's no options, <clears throat> that's a great indication that you're in a cult. Uh, a couple more of these is uh, questioning, doubt, and dissent are discouraged at, or even punished somehow. The idea that you're not allowed to read any books that aren't authorized by the leadership and that you shouldn't uh, make friends with and talk to people who are against that church. Uh, in extreme examples, they can even discourage you from being friends with or, or even having communication with parts of your family because they don't live up to uh, the church's beliefs. Uh, oftentimes the leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how members should think and act and feel and both inside and outside of the church. Uh, they'll tell their members uh, that they must get permission to date, change jobs, to marry. Um, you know, they'll tell you what to wear, where to live, where to have children, how to discipline the children and so forth. And the funny thing, Caleb, is that 
God and the word of God have the right to dictate to us how we should live our lives. But I don't have the right to tell you how you should do anything. Now, you're my friend and I've come to you and I can say, hey, Caleb, I really feel like you're messing up this part of your life. And I think the Bible says this and you should change. Okay, and I, and I want to tell you that because you're my friend and I love you and I want the best for you. But as far as me having the authority over parts of your life, it, it's absurd. You know, we have individual soul liberty. When I die and stand before God, I am standing before God. I'm not standing before my church or my pastor or anyone else. I'm standing now, before God and I have to answer to God. Your pastor may show up there though to negotiate between you and Jesus at the end of this whole thing, right? Nope. When you're standing there, when you're standing there before God, there's a mm -hmm. he might he might just step in right at the last minute and say, you know what, I got this, Patrick. Don't talk to God. I'm going to negotiate between you and God because I am the sole access here. So <clears throat> you're thinking of lawyers. That sounds much more like a lawyer than a pastor. Although I will tell you this: Do you know the difference between God and a pastor? God doesn't think God doesn't think he's a pastor. <laughs> now, now that's a tragic joke because I have several friends that are pastors and assistant pastors, and they're just, they're lovely men who love God and they're dear friends of mine. But they would all laugh at that joke because right. they've all met the pastor that thinks he's God, and it's ridiculous. So another thing is most of the time this is very well masked and it's very deceitful. And so there's there's one thing that cults are very good at, and that's usually lying, because as soon as you God is the opposite of God, it, God is truth. The opposite of that is lying. And that usually comes in. There's a lot of deceitfulness and you'll never get a straight answer out of them, whether it's on doctrinal issues, on practice, whatever it might be there. They get really wishy washy. They may be really clear with the members. But if anybody from the outside comes in, they try to sugarcoat it, paint a different picture. If your church has to have two faces, one for the public and one for the members, there's a problem. Um, I would also say that that it's it's really interesting. If if you've gotten to the point of thinking that your salvation comes through a corporate, if, if your salvation is somehow dependent on your church or the or on a cor God corporately rapturing the whole church together, and and unless you're a part of that, you're going to miss out. That's a, that's a big, another big telltale sign. When Jesus came, he came to, if you feel in bondage to it, Jesus came to set the captive free. He didn't come to put us in bondage. So if you're in bondage to your church, that's not Jesus that's putting you in bondage. That's men that are putting you in bondage to that church. If, if, you, if you look at it, there's, since the beginning, there was God up here and there was humanity down here. There's a clear distinction. It's God and it's the church. It's us. And so anytime that the church starts to elevate anybody or anything up to possibly somewhere halfway in between 25% of the way, 75% of the way, I don't care how, where it is, it's God and it's us. And all of us are a bunch of nobodies. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter who you are. And, and I do realize that some people have been walking with God longer. Some people have different spiritual gifts. Those gifts are still God. That's God's spirit. If they have the gift of healing, prophecy, whatever that is. That's still God. They don't. We don't own. We don't take ownership of anything in God's kingdom. It's God in us, and he, and it's still Him up here and us down here. And so we don't. We don't get to to somehow negotiate and say, "Well, I'm up here, you're down here, so I'm going to kind of limit this to you, and I, I'm the one. I'm the keeper. I'm going to be, be the gatekeeper here, and let only who I who I want in and out of the church, and in and out of heaven, and I have the power to to condemn you to hell or or turn you turn you over to Satan. That's there's that scripture talking about turning people over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh that's used in cults. Um, anyway, go ahead. You got something on your mind. Yeah, I was just thinking about what happened when Jesus was on the cross, and that was that the veil was rent in twain. The, the, the veil separated the, uh, the holy place from the holy of holies. So it was the inner sanctum of the tabernacle. And at that time, when, when Christ was crucified, it was the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a room that only one man went into once a year. And he only did that after great ceremonial preparation. And that was the high priest on Yom Kippur. And it was a place where he got to be in the very presence of God. And that was something that was very special and, and really what we would call inaccessible. As a matter of fact, just to give you the quick, you know, two second history course on it, uh, if, if people went in there, 
uh, they would oftentimes die if they touched the Ark of the Covenant that was in there or the mercy seat, they would die. To give you an idea, and this, this is historical, you can look this up, they would actually put bells on the high priest when he would go in there so they could stand outside of the holiest of holies and hear him moving around. Because if he went in there with unrepentant sin, he would just drop dead. They would tie a rope around his waist so they could drag his dead body out of the holiest of holies if there was a problem. And when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated us from the holiest of holies, it was believed to be 18 inches thick. It was, it was a very serious, heavy uh, uh, curtain, and it was ripped in half. And to the Jews, that was unbelievable. But what it was representing is that there is now access to God. For every individual. That's why the Bible calls us priests. We are all priests and kings. The, the doctrine is the priesthood of the believer. So in old times, in the Old Testament, you would bring your sacrifice and then the Levitical priesthood would sacrifice it for you. And that was how you would reconcile your misdeeds with God. That wasn't how you got saved, but that was how you would make your relationship right with God. So there was a time where there were uh, people involved in the access to God. The New Testament brought into it, you know, now we get saved with the Holy Spirit inside of us. God is literally living inside of us and we can talk and have direct access to God anytime we want. So the whole idea that we go to a church that tries to tell us that they have to be involved for us to be able to go to God, that defeats the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross. The whole One of the greatest things that we got was the priesthood of all believers. We have direct access to God. We don't need anyone else. You by yourself on a desert island with the Bible will do just as well as you in any church that you go to. Now. Don't, don't get me wrong. I would rather have other Christians around me to encourage me. But the point is, you can have just as much access to God by yourself on that desert island with the Bible. I've been yeah. talking too long. Jump in. No, no, So you brought up a good point there. So I think it's I think it is important to realize some of these a lot of these cults are going to be very, very much. They're going to promote the idea of the importance of the body of Christ, the corporate body, your local church. And the and the authority that's in the church, church authority. Those are there are some things there that you can pull from a biblical source. But keep in mind, Patrick just mentioned that the veil was torn in two, and it would it would. It, can you imagine how how ridiculous it would be if you and I sat here and tried to decide which of us was holier than the other one right now? <laughs> you I mean, would that's win. Ridiculous thing. It's you. I guarantee it's you. No, the thing is, is head. is. <laughs> At the foot of the cross, the ground is level, Correct. and and there's some of us, there's some of us that have been around God longer than each, than others. Maybe some of us that have, have been through more trials, whatever it might be, more more spiritual maturity, growth. Some people have different gifts of the Spirit, um, but if I hear somebody refer to a, a another Christian as as somehow being elevated or having some sort of a, whole, a more holy attribute than they do. Or that they're somehow trying to model their life after this Christian is very alarming. Paul, Paul said, "Don't be followers of Paul, or Paulus be followers of Christ." And any time that we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start, like I said, worshiping the Creator rather than the worshiping the creation rather than the Creator, that becomes very pro problematic. And that's exactly what happens as soon as you as soon as you start looking around and trying to figure out who's comparing. And that's why it says not to compare ourselves among ourselves. The apostles fell into that early on they were that jesus disciples they're trying to figure out who's going to be greatest and and the thing is is it is clearly in the scripture that we are that all these cults are reading that says not to compare ourselves among ourselves but when we get to the point of trying to decide that we're the best church it's a that's a very very appealing thing because um everybody everybody that is a christian and it, and cares about morality and, and wants to know god there's something in their heart that's given to us by God in our conscience that wants to do the right thing. So, that, so, and this is a, this is a human trait, a human, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's an instinct that we have to, to want to do the right thing. God put it in us. It's in our conscience. We want to do the right thing. We want to be in the right group of people. We want to fit into the right church. And especially if you're wanting to do the right thing and be a godly person, you're going to want to find the right church. And so this is, if, if somebody can come to me and tell me, Hey, we've got it all together over here. 
well, then why don't I go there? If everybody else is wrong, it makes most, you know, I'm not going to go choose the wrong church. And so, and you can find a lot of good things in all these cults. They have a really good sales pitch because they have, they have some good things, a lot of good family values, oftentimes, well, sometimes, sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes the whole family unit gets broken up. Um, yeah, sometimes you know, the family unit gets separated by razor wire. Yeah. Or, <laughs> the compound or, has tall walls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or God spoke to me that I'm supposed to have your wife and you need to give her up. <laughs> that type of breaking up of the family unit is never healthy either. So, I mean, there's been some pretty bad situations that have come about from it. But if you if 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 there was an awareness on the level of the members to say, hey, something's wrong here. The Bible says not to compare ourselves. And, and we're trying to say that we're the, the right church. I, I've been in church now, well, I've, let's say, eight years steady. And I would say I've never been in a church that I felt like had it all together. There's always, there's always something that is imperfect about a church, but there's always some good things to go along with it. I have sat through a lot of messages that I felt like were mostly man-centered. Even in my current church that I'm in right now, it's a great church. I love my church, but there's a lot of times where it becomes more focused around how to, how to, you know, be a better person and a better dad and better, you know, whatever, rather than being focused on God and learning, you know, more, sometimes the, the services can turn into this motivational speech sometimes. So I could look at that and be like, well, this cult over here seems like they got it together a little bit better. And when you start comparing that, I've heard people say, well, my favorite church, favorite church I've ever found is this church here, that church there. I just love this church. I think it's the best church. I think that should be alarming. We should realize it's not your little local group that meets in a building has very little. That's not the church. We got God up here. And we have us down here. We're the church, all of us. And when you get somebody in there that starts dictating and saying, nope, they're all not the church. And it's just right here. This is our little group. We've got exclusive access to God. That's, that's it should be a huge red flag. If I if you're in a church and whether they openly say it or not, to, if, if it's if it's kind of the, the, an unwritten rule or an open secret that everybody just assumes we're the we're the one and only church, that should be a red flag because you're not. I'll sit here and tell you with authority, you are not the only church. You know, you actually mentioned that before, and I thought it was a really good point when you made it that a lot of times in these groups, they'll kind of be a, a, a public face and then there'll be a little bit more of a back room kind of face where we'll be a little bit more open and we're willing to admit that, I mean, come on, we know that we are the one and only, you know, we are the true, we are the group where, you know, we're, uh, but oftentimes that's not going to be said on Sunday morning. You know, it's not written on, on the visitor pack, right? When you come right. in the church and you get handed a pen, you know, and they, they shake your hand and say, welcome. They don't say welcome to the one and only, you know, whatever. That's usually going to be more of a, you know, you, you, you get that when you end up, you know, becoming a 33rd degree. Well, actually, no, we said we weren't going to mention any specific groups, so I won't talk about that. But <clears throat> I thought it was a great point that any time, I'm going back to it. I'm going to go back to the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. The, the two, re, it's only a couple chapters. So if, if everyone listening doesn't go and read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, I don't know how to help you, but that will explain more to you than anything I could say right now. The two churches that thought they had it all together, Jesus said, you've got nothing right, none of it. And if you don't change these things, you're going to be gone. And he said that to the church of Ephesus. And go ahead and tell me where the church of Ephesus is today. It's gone. It does not exist. Okay, so anytime, it always scares me to death whenever a person or a group starts talking about how they've got it together. The, the best way that I can judge my own Christianity is whenever I think I'm doing well, I need to hurry up and get back on my knees and apologize to God and beg him to help me be the type of Christian and the type of man he wants me to be. Because whenever I think I've got it together and I'm doing well, that's a sure sign that I'm getting filled up with pride and arrogance. And that is my way. That's never God's way. Right. So if, if you were going to, this is kind of um, a little bit off the subject, but if you were going to start a cult, just mm -hmm. for the fun of it here. Okay. If you're going I'm to ready. start a cult, 
what do you think would be some good steps to take to start a cult? Okay. Or have you given this much thought? You need some time. No, 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 no. I'm ready to start a cult uh, immediately. Okay, so I'm going to need a hundred acres in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to need a bunch of razor wire. Uh, I'm going to need guns. No, that's not really right. Okay, eventually so, you might need. Those. You don't need any of that to start with. No, no, not to start with. Okay, so seriously, what you want is you want unflinching, unyielding, unquestioning loyalty from your followers. No matter what, no matter how you want to define a cult, that is a hallmark. You have to have the people follow you. I don't want to say blindly. Okay, but pretty close to that. You really want them thinking that you have the answers and that they need to come to you for advice for everything. They shouldn't make any major decisions. You really want as much control as possible. Cults okay, so are not open-minded and willing. Okay, so how would you that becomes it becomes really complicated then because then how do you if you if you are going to be the ultimate source of of authority and information and mm-hmm. um, and direction and guidance for the group, mm-hmm. it seems like this becomes very complicated immediately. If you say if you said you were any other kind of a cult other than a Christian cult, that wouldn't mm-hmm. be that hard. But when you when you're a Christian cult and you got and you have to have these guys blindly follow you when you're going off of a Bible that clearly rules you out as being able to do this, uh-huh. doesn't it seem like you have to somewhere along the line convince them? that you have a, a, a different level of understanding and a different way of reading the Bible somehow such that you can interpret the Bible to them in a way that they wouldn't be able to understand outside of you and your, um, your God-given knowledge. Or It seems like that, that, would, that comes natural. And I, 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 Go ahead. I'm going to say that's, that's the easiest part. What you just described as far as getting people to believe that you have something special that they cannot obtain or get in America today, Caleb, how hard is that? Right. Because what is the most dangerous thing that could walk into a cult? It is the individual Christian with a Bible in their hand that they are well-versed in. That person is not going to stick around. They're going to see problems. They're going to feel problems. They're going to, okay, what do we talk about? On this podcast, we've talked how many times about the Berean challenge, right? But uh, those in Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that although they heard the word and received it with gladness, they went home and searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. They didn't believe Paul just because he got up and preached. They listened. But then they took notes and they went home and they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Okay, now <clears throat> let me ask you this, Caleb. What's the best way to feed a lie to a Christian? There's a delivery system. There it is. There's a yeah. delivery system. Who did that, Caleb? Who did that multiple times in the Bible, Caleb? Yep, Genesis chapter yep. 1. Genesis chapter 3, sure. 3 verse 1. <clears throat> okay, half yeah. God said, right? Okay, so right. the devil questioned God's word. And then when the, and this was the craziest one, when the devil was quoting the Bible to Jesus, out of anyone you're going to try to pull the wool over the eyes of, the devil misquotes the Bible to Jesus. When he takes Jesus after Jesus fasted for 40 days and was hungered, the devil tempts him in three different ways. Go ahead. If you have a cross-reference Bible, you can look it up. It's in Matthew. It's going to bring you back to Psalms. I think it was Psalm 91. But don't quote me on that. You're going to see that the Bible or the devil left out a little bit of the verse. He quotes a verse of the Bible, but he leaves some of it out. And that's really all you have to do. I mean, every cult in the world is going to use the Bible, but they're going to use it poorly. They're going to use it for their purposes to point you to them rather than to uh, Jesus. And, and, And that's kind of cult mentality 101. So there's also, I would say there's a lot of, churches that take and borrow some pretty similar practices from cults that maybe aren't full-blown cults but a pretty common practice is to use this idea of the fact that you can't just take scripture at face value you've always got to you've always got to read between the lines and it's okay to make the bible say something totally different Uh, there's i i'm okay with metaphors and with with taking taking an issue that's in the bible and trying to trying to kind of draw these illustrations with it but that can't become doctrine and it, oftentimes that's exactly what happens is somebody will take 
take an issue where, um, you know, what, whatever it might be, Jesus, Jesus heals the blind. And so somehow we feel like because Jesus healed the blind, that he's wanting to give us greater 2020 vision because it's 2020. And we're going to tie this into this scripture loosely. Well, that wasn't what Jesus was trying to do when he was healing the blind. You know, it's, you, you can't really turn that into a doctrine and then have the whole church get all fired up about this. Oh yeah, we're excited because you know the Bible says that in 2020, Jesus is going to heal our blindness and give us better vision. That's not what the Bible said. He said he healed a blind man back then. And you can just take it at face value or the idea that you have somebody that has this either spiritual or language, good language interpretation, being able to interpret from the Greek or the Hebrew. And they can, they can make the Bible say whatever they want because they're going to read, they're going to read it out of, however many different translations until they find what they want it to say. Yeah. So if you can't take the Bible at face value without having to piece it together out of 10 different translations to get it to say what you want it to say, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. And so if I, if I listen to a preacher and he's preaching out of 10 different translations to make it say what he wants, I'm pretty sure that he's got a message that's not in the Bible. He's trying to make the Bible say what he wants. And I, I pretty much tune out pretty quickly. You know, one thing that's funny and one, the number one way you're going to misunderstand the Bible is if you take the verse that is the outlier. Okay. And, and I see this happen constantly where the Bible talks about you're saved by grace. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Grace, not works, not works, but grace. And over and over and over and over and over, you read that. And then there's one verse that sounds like you're saved by works and churches jump on that. There's a mountain of scripture from Genesis to Revelation that says saved by grace through faith in Christ. And then there's one verse that seems to say the opposite. And they're like, yep, that's the truth. All the rest of that stuff clearly, you know, everyone misunderstands. And it's like, guys, no, what you got to do is if there's a hundred verses that point in one direction and there's an outlier that seems to say the opposite, we have to figure out the outlier. We don't throw out the obvious, clear teaching of a hundred verses, and, and I see that so many times when churches want to get off, and they may, and then that thing ends up being their distinctive. Oh, we we know this. No other church is doing this, and we've got this thing figured out, and everyone else is misunderstanding. It, it's this, and you see that in all of them. It's the same thing in every church that's going astray. And that's why, again, I can't say it enough times. You have to have a good understanding of your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You got to read it. You got to read it every day. You got to read a lot of it. When you get to the end, you got to start over and read it again. You have to have, you have to study the thing. The best way to be a healthy Christian is to have a good understanding of the entire Bible. It's the, it's the best way to not be led astray by every wind and wave of doctrine, by every crazy preacher out there. Yeah, and I would say on that note, even if you don't have a great understanding of scripture, if you go into scripture realizing that you can you can read it for yourself, you can take it mm-hmm. at face value. You don't ha- doesn't have to get complicated. You don't have to get lost in the weeds and make it. You know, a lot of times the doctrine in these cults becomes so complicated that pretty soon they can make the Bible say that that. I mean, they've they've done some some of them have done some pretty crazy things, and and pretty soon they they make the Bible say whatever they want it to say and. And if they would have read the Bible at face value, they would have never got there. And if they would have taught the people in the church to read the Bible at face value, they would have never, the people in the church would have never gone along with it. But because of the fact that things get more and more complicated and you go with, you know, you, you, you mentioned, do you have something you're going to say? Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. I was typing oh, yeah. something. I'm listening. Forgive me. Uh, so, yeah, he, he mentioned something about the fact that something gets elevated to the position, I, I can't remember how you worded it a, a second ago, but there can be a good thing. It can even be a good thing in the church, and that becomes the focus. And I think most churches, and I would say even non-cults, we like to have this little tribalism. This, this, where the, where the, this is what sets us apart, makes us unique, makes us a little better than the church across the street. Yep. So we focus on these little minor details that make us different, and everybody has their their little things that are unique, and they may be good things. Go ahead. I want to add to your point, the point you're made, you've made this point before and I forgot, forgot to jump in. Uh, One thing that you're going to find in a lot of cults is they're going to kind of ask this question. If you didn't go to church here, where else would you go? Like, you know, if you weren't here with us, like, where else are you going to find the truth? Where else in this town are they doing the things that we're doing? And you'll hear that all the time. This thing about 
they are special. The idea, and you talked about it before, Caleb, you said, what, God's here and we're like down here. That's it. The Anytime right. someone brings up the idea that they're special, they're an idiot. That's what they are. And I have no problem saying that to anyone or any group that thinks that they are special. You are an idiot. That's the best you're ever going to be with that attitude. Okay. Because you want to know what I am? I am dirt. That's what I am. That's the best I will ever be. Yeah. And it's really easy to, once you get into a group and you love the people, you, you build close friendships, you have family there, you've done time together and you start to realize the benefits. Done time. Of <laughs> What's that? Done time. I like how you said that. <laughs> you're t- <laughs> go ahead yeah, i'm sorry you're, you've got some investment in there and and then all of a sudden when that gets used the love and the relationships and the, and the care that's been there between the members gets used as a bargaining chip to keep you against your will in the in the community well the thing is is those are good things and those things aren't exclusive to your church other churches have those things going too you may not understand it you may not realize it just because you have a lot of close friends there, there's other churches that have <clears throat> close friends and don't pretend like they have it all together. I go to a church right now that does not claim to have it all together. We have one piece of paper. It explains on one page, like a half a page, what we believe. We believe the Bible and that's it. And, and, and that's the way it really should be. And, and there's, you know, I'm sure some of us have differences of opinion on doctrine, but I've said for years, I would way rather go to a church where I disagree with, with most of the members on, doc, even on, core doctrinal issues and yet could still have the the freedom to be supported by the church in raising my family the way that I see the Bible to, to direct me to and, and living out my convictions and ra- raising my children to be able to think for themselves and to realize the reason my dad does this is because this is what the Bible says, not because his church does it. And if you're doing it because your church does it, that's the wrong reason to do it. You know, what you said right there is a telltale sign that you are not in a cult. The idea that you have different beliefs from the people around you and they support you in the way you live your life and raise your kids because you believe you are doing what the Bible says, that is a really good and healthy place to be. Now, obviously the exception to that would be if we are doing something that is completely contrary to the word of God, but in a cult, that type of behavior would be discouraged. No one would want you in the church. You would be the black sheep if you did things differently than everyone else. Okay, but this is one of the one of the biggest sales pitch that cults are going to have is that they are the only ones that are all unified. Shouldn't we all be one in Christ? Shouldn't we all be like minded? We're not supposed to be yoked together with unbelievers. So um, no. some of these. The answer is no, we are not all supposed to be the same. We will exactly. never all be the same until Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth when the literal throne of David is in place in Jerusalem during the millennial reign when Satan is bound for a thousand years. Then that beautiful picture will be in place. Until then, it's going to be a hot mess. Right. So should we just go, go ahead and get into a whole episode on eschatology now? Since no, since you're I mean, on no, I'm I'm a no. big eschatology. Uh, I, I love eschatology. I love end times. I love prophecy. So if you're going to get me started, I'm I'm going to take off and run with it. But no, that wasn't my intent. My point is, you know, if you don't want to go with end times and millennial reign, that's fine. Can we all agree that we'll all work together and have beautiful unity in heaven? Right. There. Okay. Good enough. When we're all dead and in heaven with God, then yeah, it's all going to be perfect until then. No, no, it's not. So we have 10 minutes left. I'm not sure. Have we, do we need to have any answers that we need to get to here? I guess not so much. We've just got one, my one friend here that has uh, putting in his humor here. Yeah. Bible thumper cult. Really, we haven't had any uh, questions, which surprises me because we've had, you know, a dozen people watching us the whole time. But that's yeah, okay. Well, maybe maybe we're doing a great job. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll just that's, <laughs> that's the reason why. So I, I think that there's um, that each person that's, that finds themselves in a church, no matter what the church is, you have to weigh the pros and the cons. And I think that being able to be in a church where you don't all see eye to eye on everything, like I said, this is a big sales pitch with the unity of everybody dresses the same, everybody believes the same, you know, everybody thinks the same way. It's a big sales pitch until you see the collateral damage on the back end of that kind of a situation. 
Okay, I just thought of one. Tell me if this yeah. is not a sign of a cult. You have had friends where you talk to them about the Bible. You're at work, you're hanging out, eating a hamburger, throwing horseshoes, whatever. You're talking to them about the Bible. You ask them a question. You're like, hey, how do you feel about this? And they start their answer with, well, my church believes. Okay. That's Anytime a, that's a I one. hear that, I'm like, ding, 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 ding. You're in a cult. Because I don't care what and your church believes. I don't care well, what your church believes. Tell me what you think the Bible says. Yeah. I mean, that's, I wouldn't say that necessarily guarantees that they're in a cult, but it's a definitely a sign of the fact that they're following their church rather than following God. And I would, I would say that if somebody asks you a question and you feel, or, or, okay. So if you, if you hear Christian music and you're not sure if you need to check it with your church to make sure that it's okay for you to listen to this kind of <laughs> Christian music, or you hear somebody preaching the Bible and you're not sure if it's okay for you to listen to it, unless it's somebody that's sanctioned by your church, or you yep. are going to sit down with another Christian and, and break bread with them. And you're not sure if it's okay to do that because they go to a different church. These are all signs of the fact that if you're actually a true follower of Christ and you read your Bible, you should have the confidence that you're able to fellowship with people you disagree with that don't see it all right, that don't have it all together. And you should realize that if I'm following Jesus, it doesn't really matter who else I'm around. I can still follow Jesus and they don't have to turn me astray. The very idea that, that you're concerned that somebody else is going to turn you astray indicates that you're a following man, not God, because you should be able to have the confidence of knowing I have God's word. I have my convictions. I have the Holy spirit to guide me. And I can look into these kind of things and these kind of friendships. And if somebody's off on this, it doesn't have to ruin me. It should be the iron, that sharpens the iron. And it's actually good. I, I feel like I've grown as a Christian way more by having friendships with even crazy people like Patrick that I disagree with on <laughs> some issues. There's, there's issues, there's Christians that I have more in common with that we agree on almost everything and they don't, cha they don't challenge me and there's not much to talk about. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Hey, let me ask you, can I take a minute and just kind of explain my experience with, uh, oh, yeah. you know, a cult and, uh, and my family? So um, if I fall asleep, I, just yell at me. I'll yeah. No, I'll try to do this quickly, but I did want to talk to everyone who maybe after hearing all that we've talked about up to this point, you're starting to think, you know what, what they're describing is the church that I go to. Okay. I, my wife and I have very different backgrounds as far as Christianity and where we came from and where, what we went through and the churches we've been in. And, and I believe my wife and I would both absolutely say that we have been very involved in a church that we laid realized was uh, very much cult-like and uh, they were very heavy-handed and it was an unhealthy place for for our family and we left and and looking back on it and I and I should ask my wife but I can tell you that looking back on it I can see that God wanted me out of this church probably about two or three years prior to when I left and it was my stubbornness <clears throat> because I thought I found the place and we were doing all the right stuff. And if I didn't go there, where else could I go? You know, and I believed a lot of the lies and was, there was a lot of pressure there and it was hard to leave because all my friends were there. I didn't really have any friends outside of there. So for me to step away was going to be such a change in lifestyle. And you're the bad guy then. When you yeah. separate, wait, even if it's for the right reasons, you're the bad guy. You're the one that's abandoning your friends, yep. breaking up, breaking down the relationship. Go ahead. And uh, uh, that's a great point, Caleb, because when we did leave, we never spoke to anyone from there again. I mean, that was it. And it wasn't because we didn't try. We were sending out Christmas cards. We didn't get any back. Okay. We did not retain any friendships from that place. And the only friendships we ended up having were from people that also left later who sought us out and said, man, I can't believe we stayed there so long. I can't, you know, and we talked about it and they're like, oh yeah, when you left, we couldn't believe you and your family left. And, you know, it was such a shock and you should have heard, you know, everyone was thinking, oh man, that, you know, that's just crazy that they go. And, and, and it was talked about almost like you're an apostate, you know, and, and, and it's like, no, we just left the church and we were trying to find another group of believers to fellowship with. That's all that happened. You know, it's not like there was a blood pact that was, 
made somewhere in a back room, you know, that, and, and now we had to be hunted down and killed for betraying, you know, I mean, it was just ridiculous, but I'll tell you this, when we left, it was very difficult. Um, and it took a little while to get over. There was a, there was a period of time where we struggled to trust any church, any pastor, any people in churches, because of the bad experience we had, we were very much blackballed and, um, you know, kind of just written off after doing so much and being so involved and giving so much of our lives to try to uh, serve God through this church. And it was a really hard and, and a really difficult time. But I'll tell you what, I am so glad that we left. Looking back, I can tell you that it wasn't until my family went through that, that we really got closer to God. And that I think would be the big surprise for so many people that are wrapped up in a system like that. They think that if they leave, they're going to be far away from God and they're lost and they're hopeless. And that wasn't the case at all. Today, I read my Bible more than I ever have. I pray more than I ever have. I am closer to my kids and we have a relationship with God together where we read the Bible together. We enjoy church again. I mean, I look forward to church and Bible studies and just so many different things. And all, all I can say is it's not, it's not this dark nightmare that people make it out to be. Okay, you got to listen to God and you got to you got to make your decisions prayerfully, but I'm telling you, you will always be better off following God than following man. 100% of the times no matter what. I'm not saying it'll be easy. Okay, I'm not saying it's right. there aren't going to be times that are really hard, but coming from a guy that's done that and my wife actually left a cult early on in our relationship prior to us being married and she got saved. And she could tell you the same thing. She really struggled because, and, and more than anything, Caleb, it was repetition. You were told the same thing so many times for so many years that it just started to make sense. Go ahead and jump in. Oh yeah. I guess we got about two minutes left. looks like. Yeah. We're yeah. Out of, yeah. Out of time. Please. So I guess we may do a follow-up on this. If, um, if there's, I guess there's enough reason to, so what, this is, what I actually feel like God has called me to and why I started studying apologetics is the idea that, that there are people that are stuck for the right reasons doing the wrong thing because they don't know any better. And the fact that oftentimes we, we might, I'm pretty sure I have friends that are stuck and, and it's not as easy as you might, as I, as me saying, you should leave, you should get out of this. And so if I had one word of wisdom to you tonight is if you listen to this, I'm not telling you leave tonight. We're not saying to get out tonight. Give us some time, use some wisdom, and you may not, you may not need to leave depending on how bad it is, but you may need to leave. And, and that's going to be up to you and your conscience to decide that. Um, but if you want to reach out, you can private message me or Patrick, and we'll be happy to talk about it and keep it anonymous. If, if you are in that position, we're going to do a follow-up episode maybe here in the next few days on how to leave a cult. And um, should you? So I guess you got to you got to weigh those out. That that's that's your deal. I realize it, it. It can be like Patrick said. There can be freedom on the other side, even though it might not be easy. Yeah, and you know something that should always be said is no matter what you're struggling with and where you are in your Christian life, I would say the number one thing you want to make sure is that your salvation is secure in Christ. If you are not a hundred percent sure that if you were to die today, heaven would be your home, you need to understand the gospel. You need to understand the simple message, and you need to get right with Jesus. Romans ten thirteen says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I can't tell you anything that Caleb and myself would rather talk to you about than that simple message. If anyone were to ever doubt uh, where they're going to go when they die, please get a hold of us. We would love to take the Bible and take a few minutes and show you how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. Whether you're in a good, healthy church or whether you're in a cult that is scary and you're wondering how you can, you know, leave and crawl under the razor wire without being detected by the German shepherds and the guard dogs, we want to make sure you're saved. You know, that was a, maybe a ill-timed attempt at humor right at the end there to lighten things up. But please understand, no matter what type of church you're going to, uh, this life is so short 
And when we get to heaven, we're not even going to be able to believe how short this lifetime was compared to eternity with God. So we want to make sure that you're there. We got at least 12 seconds left, Caleb. Why don't you take us? All right. We, we may have missed something here tonight. You may be in a cult and we may not know it because we're not experts on this. But Seek God, follow him, and quit following man and get into the word and, and you'll you'll find your way out of it. I trust that. So we'll see Amen. you guys again next Friday. We may have a follow-up session between now and then. Thank you all. Have a good night.